If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 51 through 58, and we're actually going to conclude chapter 13. We've been in this chapter for, for many weeks now, and we'll conclude it together this morning. So once again, Matthew chapter 13, we're going to be looking at verses 51 through 58 together. This is what God's Word says. Jesus asked, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This morning I've entitled this message, Kingdom Understanding. Over the past several weeks we have been reading from God's Word parable after parable that Jesus has shared with his disciples. In each of these parables, Jesus has been teaching his disciples and subsequently us kingdom principles. He has been, he, he has been instructing his disciples about the reign and rule of God which broke into human history at his birth in the implications thereof. The words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and that question that he asked them in verse 51 still rings true today. Jesus asked his disciples, do you understand all of these things? Do you understand all of these things? This morning our message point is this. You cannot communicate what you do not understand. Understanding is is essential. Every decision we make is predicated upon proper understanding, isn't it? Notice our first point this morning. It is this, hearing without understanding. Hearing without understanding. Jesus, once again, in verse 51 says, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever experienced information overload? Have you ever done that? I have. Man, as I think back to my high school and my college days especially, I recall information overload. Connor is a student, a sophomore at Lucas Christian Academy. And these pages represent three of his classes that he's taken. I couldn't find the syllabuses for the other classes, but this right here are, this represents three of his classes. In these pages, he is instructed on what all of the books that he will be reading, every chapter that he will be responsible for, every daily assignment, every um, quiz date, every exam date, every group 
project. He's told when he's going to have labs, if there are labs associated with his classes and research papers. All of that is right here. I remember when I was in high school and college, at the end of those days, after having gone through class after class, I remember literally sitting with my head in my hands, being kind of overwhelmed by all that was expected of me. You remember um, your first day on your on the job. You know, you maybe have been fresh out of college or fresh out of high school. Man, you 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 went through college at Slay, and you. Let's say you went four years if you were just, um, if you didn't get a, a graduate degree, some of you got graduate degrees, some of you just loved school so much that you just kept on going, but eventually you got out of school and, and you went to that um, job on the first day. You kind of spend probably six to eight or more hours listening to your future boss go over what your job description was. And you're told that you will be responsible for X, Y, and Z. And as they're telling you you're going to be responsible for X, Y, and Z, you're thinking back to your college and your high school days, and you're realizing, I did not learn anything about X, Y, and Z, yet I am going to be responsible for X, Y, and Z. Some of you can relate to that because you remember that. Some of you, it happened in recent days. Some of you, it's been a while back that you went through that. But at the end of that day, your boss probably looked you right in the eyes and said, do you understand what I am saying to you? And and. I doubt any of us in this room said no, right? All of us said yes. And we said it probably emphatically, yes, I understand, when in reality we probably didn't fully understand everything that was expected of us. And I think that's what we're seeing right here with the disciples this morning. Jesus has just shared with them parable after parable. And these aren't easy parables that he is instructing them on. I mean, these have required them to listen um, and, and hear with their brain and comprehend with their hearts. And he's gone over parable after parable with them. And he has shared with them what the kingdom of heaven is like, what, how the kingdom of heaven grows, how it advances, what its worth and value is. He has shared with them um, about the rewards for those who believe in him. Their reward is the kingdom of heaven. He has also shared with them the consequences of not believing in him, which is eternal separation from the Lord Jesus Christ, from heaven. He has shared with them all of these truths, and then he turned to them and looked them square in the eyes and asked them, do you understand? And what did the disciples say? Yes, Lord. Yes. Emphatically, yes. All 12 of them must have said yes. How many times have you and I responded to Jesus with an emphatic yes, only to walk out the doors of the church or walk away from a Bible study that we were having and, 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 just, and ask ourselves, what in the world did I just say yes to? I think of Peter when I think of a yes man. Think about Peter. How many times did Peter tell the Lord yes or imply yes only to fall flat on his 
face. Before Jesus was handed over to be crucified, Jesus told his disciples that each of them would abandon him. But Peter said, not I, Lord. I will follow you till your death. We read of this in Matthew 26, verses 30 through 35. We read, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Peter declares with an emphatic yes here that he will follow Jesus to the point of death. But we know the truth. We've read the rest of that chapter. Peter didn't deny Jesus just once or twice, but he denied him three times. You know, I'm not saying here within this passage of Scripture that we're reading this morning that the disciples lied to Jesus when he asked them if they understood. What I'm saying is that as we read through the Gospels, we know that their understanding was limited at best. Had their understanding not been limited, then we would not read about encounter after encounter after encounter where the disciples demonstrate their limited understanding. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. As your pastor, I do not know everything there is to know about God's Word. Just like the disciples were students of Jesus, I too am a student. Every day I set out to learn more, comprehend more, and better apply God's Word more faithfully to my life. I pray that you can say the same. I pray that every single one of us We may not understand everything, but by faith, we go. By faith, we do. And by faith, we apply God's word faithfully in all that we do. And when we don't understand and when we don't get it, we study harder. We read more so that we can grasp and we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the truth of his word. Notice our next point this morning. It is this. We are to treasure understanding. We are to treasure understanding. We read here in verse 52. And he said to them, therefore. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. You know, this is an interesting parable here. What do scribes and masters and houses and new and old treasures have to do with the kingdom of heaven? First, notice this. You and I must become wise stewards. We must be wise stewards. Each and every believer in this room are stewards of the treasures that God has given us. We are stewards of his word. Back when we were in our belief series, we looked at the word of God, looked at the Bible. And one of the things that we said together was that God's word is more than just ink on a page. It is the very breath of God breathed out 
on a page. This word is living and active. And we must be wise stewards of God's word. Not only are we to be stewards of his word, but we are to be stewards of our time. Every single one of us in this room, we've all been given the same amount of seconds and minutes and hours and days in a week. And we must steward our time well. Let's not give our places of employment our best time or all of our time, our, our, our hobbies our best time. But let's make sure that our time is also given to our families as well as to Christ's church. We are also to steward our talents. Every single one of us have talents. Every single one of us have gifts. Many of us use those gifts at our place of employment. Save those gifts as well for your families and for his church. And we are also to be wise stewards of our treasures. God has given each and every one of us, every single one of us in this room, treasures. Let's use those treasures to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to be wise stewards. You and I as believers in Jesus Christ are to be stewards of all that God has entrusted us with. Notice to whom Jesus associates his disciples. He calls them scribes, which might surprise us when we think about um, them being called scribes, since many of the things Jesus said about the scribes and the religious leaders in Scripture were very negative, weren't they? The scribes began as a noble group under the leadership of Ezra. Their primary responsibilities were to preserve the law, to study the law, and to apply the law. Over the years, though, the scribes have become a corrupted group of people. They had taken that which God intended to be good, and they turned it into a heavy burden upon, and placed it upon the people. Regardless of this, what does Jesus call? Who does Jesus call his disciples? He calls them scribes. Under the instruction of Jesus, each of the twelve disciples were becoming scribes. They were becoming the entrusted stewards of God's word and his revelation. They were, become, they were being made into disciples so that they could become disciple makers. And notice also that Jesus refers to them as the master of a house. The master of the house was responsible for the welfare of the entire home. They were responsible for distributing both new things and old things. They were the ones that were responsible for distributing clothes. They would have distributed food. They would have distributed the the necessary means that anyone needed over the course of the day. That is what the master of the house did. Now the disciples are the ones that Jesus is entrusting with his eternal truths. They were being tasked with the responsibility to steward the old covenant as well as the new covenant. They were being entrusted with the Old Testament as well as the New Testament that many of them would eventually pin. John, John MacArthur writes this in his commentary. Through these 12 and Paul, 
the Lord entrusted the continued revelation of his word and the rounding of his church. They knew the old truths of his previous revelation and were being given additional truths that were new. Apart from the Lord himself, the apostles were the supreme Bible scholars, the preachers, the teachers, and theologians of all time scribes and disciples without equal. Now, Jesus has tasked the disciples as scribes, and subsequently you and I as scribes as well. We are being entrusted to teach God's word, to preach God's word, and apply God's word as we do life together, as we do life across these cities and around this world. May we be wise stewards. And not only may we be wise stewards, but also may we become discerning stewards as well. In the expository commentary, we read this. Stop and consider the privilege the followers of Christ have today in terms of what we know of God's word. We have the Old Testament in its entirety, and we can see how all of it points forward so magnificently so brilliantly, so powerfully to Christ. Charles Spurgeon once said, Don't you know, young man, that from every town and every village and every hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road that leads to London. So from every text in Scripture, there is a road towards the great metropolis Christ. Spurgeon also spoke these words, Never keep a truth to thyself, my brother. Hast thou found honey? There are moths that would fain to know its flavor. You and I must steward well the understanding that we have been given, God's revelation that we have been given. We are to treasure the understanding given to us, and we are to disperse the treasure given to us as well. We are not to hoard the treasure. We are to disperse it. Folks, this is not an option that we were given. This is a command. We are not to hoard God's word. We are to disperse God's word. We are not to keep God's word to ourselves, but we are to give God's word away as we do life with people. Let us take God's word, hide God's word in our heart, and share God's word with those that we come in contact with. Our final point this morning is this, incomplete understanding. Incomplete understanding. Within the next block of Scripture, Matthew records Jesus' return to his hometown of Nazareth. Now, you would think that he would have been welcomed to some kind of a hero's welcome. You would think that a parade would have been thrown for him because of all of the mighty works that he had done. You would think that the headline in the Nazareth Gazette would have been, Hometown hero returns to a hero's welcome. That's what you would think, but that's not what occurred at all. When Jesus returned to his hometown of Nazareth, he was rejected. I'll tell you what, if one of our young people were to return um, a, a, a war hero, 
or if they were to return having accomplished um, great things within the music world, great things within the athletic world, or great things within um, society, when they were to return to us and they use the platform that God had given them to bring honor and glory to him, I will guarantee if they were to return to this place, we would welcome them. We would celebrate their accomplishments. We would celebrate what God had done in them and through them. Because that's what you do when a hero returns home. That's not what happened to Jesus, though. Despite the fact that in all of human history, there had never been anyone that taught with such authority. There had never been anyone that performed the mighty works like Jesus had done. As we walk through um, this book together, as we've walked through the gospel of Matthew together, we have, we have, we have looked at how Jesus has demonstrated his authority over biology, over sin, over salvation, over death, over nature, over all of these different things. We have looked at how Jesus is indeed the greatest man, greatest person to ever walk this earth. He returns to his hometown and he is rejected. Instead of returning to the worship and praise of those who witnessed him grow up in Nazareth, he returns and he is rejected. You know, I will never forget when I interviewed for the position of student pastor at First Baptist Church of Wiley. And it's been over 22 years ago. It's been a long time ago since, since that had happened. Um, days after graduating from college, I returned home and I was asked if I would be interested in becoming the interim youth minister at that time, and to which I replied, absolutely, I would love to do that. Months after I was the interim pastor, I finally was given the opportunity to interview for the full-time position, for the associate pastor of students and activities position. And following that interview, one of the gentlemen who, who was a, 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 a great leader within the church, a great community leader, he um, was one of my coaches in high school. He pulled me aside after that meeting, and he looked me right in the eyes, and he said this. He said, Jesus was rejected in his hometown. What makes you think you're not going to be rejected in yours? You know, I don't, I, I, I'll never forget that question. Not because I um, was honored that he was comparing me to Jesus. I, I'll never forget that because after that question was asked of me, I realized that there was nothing that could happen to me at my home church or in my home city that could compare to what Jesus experienced. Notice this. Think about this. The people heard his word. They heard the preaching of Jesus. We read in verses 53 through 56 of Matthew chapter 13. Then when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man? get all these things. You know, I want us to just for a moment to reflect on the encounter that Jesus had. Jesus, God in the flesh, had returned home to declare and to demonstrate the mighty works of God the Father amongst those, those whom knew him best. Now, here's what we need to understand about Jesus. 
Jesus did not return to his home city of Nazareth as a wayward child, did he? He did not return to his home city having to make reconciliation because of his sinful nature when, before he had left. He didn't have to make amends with anybody. He did not have to seek anybody's apology. He didn't have to do any of those things. Jesus returned to his hometown having been the greatest child, the greatest young adult that city had ever produced. I mean, think about it. He had never done anything wrong like all the other boys of Nazareth had. He was the most polite child, the most humble child, the most respectful child, the kindest child, the gentlest child. He was the most loving person to ever walk the city streets of Nazareth. He was a carpenter's son. He did not cut corners like all the other carpenters did. When Jesus worked on a, 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 was given an assignment to do, it would have been flawless what he created. He would give whatever was asked of him back to that person, and it would have been absolutely flawless. They would have experienced his wisdom. Even as a boy, no one could compare to the wisdom of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says this of Jesus in Hebrews 7.26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. The people heard, but they did not believe. The greatest man, sinless, flawless man to ever walk this, the, the, this God's green earth was Jesus. And he was rejected in his hometown. The people heard, but they did not believe. May that not be said of any of us in this room this morning. Notice also the people witnessed his works. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Not only did the people hear of the miracles Jesus had performed, but many of them probably even witnessed Jesus perform miracle after miracle. Jesus, known for being a master carpenter within Nazareth, returns and clearly has given evidence that he is more than just a master carpenter. He is the author and perfecter. He is the creator of the world. He spoke all things into existence. Nothing has happened in all of human history without him knowing of it. He is to be celebrated for his mighty works, but instead he is rejected in his hometown. May it not be said of any of us in this room that we have rejected Jesus. That leads us to our final subpoint this morning, and it is this the people denied his worship. The people denied his worship. I want us to read one more time verses 55 through 58. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. 
In verse 55 in the English Standard Version translation of the Bible, we read, Is not this the carpenter's son? In the New Living Translation Bible, it says this, He's just the carpenter's son. I want you to know right now, he is more than the son of Joseph. Jesus is more than the son of Mary. He is more than the brothers of a bunch, uh, the brother of a bunch of hooligans. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He, 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 he is the greatest man to ever walk the face of this earth. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do not be like the people of Nazareth. Don't let the truth of God's word fall on deaf ears. Don't fail to see the evidence of Jesus' work all around us. And do not deny Jesus the worship that is due his name. Do not let your unbelief drive you away from Jesus. You see in verse 58 we read, And he did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. Do not let your unbelief drive you away from Jesus. If you are here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. I'm going to be standing here at the front. And if you're here this morning... And you would like to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I invite you to come. In order to be a Christ follower, Scripture is very clear. We must confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And if we do that, Scripture is clear that we will be saved. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the consequences for that sin, according to Romans 6.23, is death. But the gift that's been given to each and every one of us in this room, the free gift that has been given to each and every one of us in this room that believe in Jesus is eternal life. So if you're here this morning and you would like to know how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to come in just a moment. If you're here this morning and the Lord is leading you to be a part of Friendship Baptist Church, we'd love for you to make this your church home. You come in just a moment. You know, this morning... Our, our opening um, verse was, do you understand all of these things is what Jesus asked his disciples. There are times when we read God's word and we study God's word and we may not understand everything that we're reading or studying. There may be times when I stand up here and I preach and you don't understand or your growth group leader teaches and you don't understand. Let me encourage you, don't throw your hands up in the air and walk out the doors of the church just saying, well, I was never meant to understand that. That is not true. If you don't understand something, let me encourage you to ask me if you don't understand. Ask your growth group leader if you don't understand. Go to God's Word and read God's Word again. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment as you read and study His Word. God has provided us with great resources as well. Commentaries, periodicals, other, other sources that are out there, books that we can study and read to help us better understand 
don't give up if you don't understand the first time. And also, don't say you understand if you really don't understand. Study. Take God's Word. Understand God's Word. Hide it in your heart and apply it to your daily life. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer before our invitation. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, once again, thanking you for the privilege of being in your house today. Father, I know that on more than one occasion, probably dozens if not hundreds of times over the course of my life, I have said yes to you. And Father, I have turned around and and lived in a way that doesn't demonstrate my emphatic yes. And Father, for that, forgive me. Father, I pray for each and every one of us in this room that, Father, we will be obedient to you. Father, that we will make sure that we fully understand your word. Father, that we won't just throw our hands up in the air if we don't get it after one try and say, well, I was never intended to understand this. Father, may we become students of your word. May we become your disciples, Father, so that as we learn more, we can take that which we've learned and we can share it with other people. Father, you've never intended us, Father, to sit back on our hands and, and, and watch the world go by. You have placed us at this moment in human history so that we can be disciple makers so that we can be your ambassadors, so that we can be men and women, students and children that impact this great world for you. And Father, we know that right now, Lord Jesus, the world that we live in is becoming more and more destructive. Father, the people within this world are becoming more and more appalled by the things of God as opposed to becoming more and more hungry for your word. And so, Lord, help us as your church go into these dark places, Father, and share with them the greatest truth that has ever been made available, and that is that Jesus saves. Father, may we point people to you and not people away from you. Father, in this room this morning, there may be some here that do not have a relationship with you. And I pray this morning they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make, and that is to enter into a personal relationship with you. Father, there may be some here this morning that have been visiting this church for a while, and you're leading them to become a part of this faith family. Father, I don't know what decision needs to be made, but you do. And so now as we enter into this time of invitation, may you be glorified and exalted. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.